Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day, wherever you are in the world today. My name is Herb. I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> Welcome to our <clears throat> workshop, some monthly workshop under the banner spirituality series. You're certainly all welcome to be here today. We're going to be talking about steps eight and nine. <clears throat> the first hour, step eight, probably the second hour, step nine. And then the third hour, I'm planning on being here from 10 o'clock to one o'clock. I'm in Los Angeles. That's 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. You're welcome to stay or obviously leave whenever you want to that third hour. We may, if we get to it, talk a little bit about forgiveness. I'm not doing a workshop on eight. I'm not doing a workshop on nine. I'm not doing a workshop on forgiveness. I'm doing a working meeting on all three, basically working with you with any questions or comments that you might have. <clears throat> Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. It's a prayer that is so powerful in its intent. I try to <clears throat> create an emphasis of it so we become conscious of what it is we're saying because we become so brain dead to it. We say it so many times. What can I influence? What can't I influence? I learned that by making mistakes. <clears throat> That's what we're talking about here and correcting the mistakes. So uh, for right now, our normal administrator from the retreat center is otherwise occupied today, <clears throat> so I'll dub in for that role. And this series, the spirituality series, as well as the other workshops that I do on a regular monthly basis, sometimes quarterly, are administered and most of them sponsored by the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center, which is a retreat center uh, close to my home, but also close to my heart. <laughs> My wife began her journey of getting sober there in 1983, finally got sober in February of 1984, and I joined her <laughs> on that adventure, a story for a different day. So the retreat center has a lot of personal meaning to me. The registration fee goes directly at 100% to the retreat center. <clears throat> For that, they administer, they hold it on their website, they register people, and they have a lot of interaction with you to help you find your way here and participate in this workshop. The retreat center is an ecumenical retreat center, meaning it's not a Catholic or Protestant or profit corporation. 
It's a nonprofit spiritual organization, it has about eight acres. Half of it looks over the ocean, half of it looks over the city. It's a, what do you call that? An, an oasis, an oasis in Southern California. If you're ever in the area, you'd have to come here intentionally because <laughs> it's a peninsula, so it's a dead end. It's where people go to either be and or to live, not to go through. And <clears throat> But do stop by and, and uh, visit with them and or take a room and stay overnight. <clears throat> they allow that on a personal basis or to enroll in one of their own programs. It's like a Motel 6, very simple. No TVs, <laughs> no refrigerators, very plain and simple. <laughs> like a monastery, actually. So I mentioned my name is Herb and I'm an alcoholic. Most of you know who I am. <laughs> I celebrated 38 years in February this year of recovery and that's a story again for another day. A couple more comments about today. I indicated that this is a workshop, but it's a working workshop. Um, and I, that's not a redundancy. A lot of my workshops are presentations and then some Q&A, long presentation, short Q&A. Uh, this is the reverse of that. This is a long Q&A, short presentation. At least that's my intention. As most of you know who've been exposed to me, I can talk forever, but I don't want to today. Today I want to mm, have dialogue with you. So if you have questions about step eight, this is the first hour. I'd like to restrict it if I don't have any rules, but I'd like to focus on step eight. And then in the second hour, focus on step nine, the actual amends. And then um, the wrap up in the last hour would be some aspect of forgiveness, but I have no rules. If you have uh, to leave early and you have questions about forgiveness, we can talk about those when you're available to do that. Um, but I just sort of respect the outline as I've given it so that we don't have a lot of um, anarchy in that way. <clears throat> and also, if you're not prepared to ask questions and or have issues, you may be attending just because it's a meeting. I mean, it's going to be a long meeting. You get to participate as long as you want to be here. Um, many people come to a lot of my events and treat them just like a meeting. They go there, they listen, they have an experience or not, and they leave. So it's not necessary that you participate. It's not necessary that you make any notes. It's not necessary that you have any particular attitude or orientation to it other than be open in your heart and open in your mind. The spirituality series this year is got two major components. There are quarterly meetings on steps four and five and their quarterly meetings on steps eight and nine. I really feel strongly from my own experience that both of those sets of steps are difficult, probably the most difficult. 
And in that order, uh, less difficult steps four and five to do than eight and nine, because eight and nine means you go out into the public forum. And um, it's a, and you face people and you look them in the eye or at least talk to them directly or indirectly, admitting the mischief of be kind, the mischief that you've created in their lives. And so I felt that perhaps some people really need some help and some guidance there. And I'll share what I know and how I interpret it and what my experience is. <clears throat> One of the first things that uh, was given to me, well, maybe not the first thing. Let's take a look, see where I'm going with my my. All right, so we're in bondage. This is one of my favorite cartoons. Most of you have seen it. I saw it first in the New Yorker magazine probably 40 years ago. This is the first of a, car a two-part cartoon, the bondage of addiction, but also the bondage of unmanageability. Both are relevant to step one, the first half and the second half of step one. The first half, bondage of addiction, is solved, I'm saying solved, by the end of the ninth step. That's why the eighth and ninth step are so important. They bring the process of recovery to conclusion. But as you know, the big book suggests that we're not cured. Although we are placed in a position of neutrality, that is, the problem of addiction is resolved, we're not cured, my interpretation is of our unmanageability, we're still in bondage of self on a daily basis. And the practice of 10, 11, and 12 are the solution to that. So ask yourself this question. If you're, if you're here to play, if you're here to participate, if you're here to do some work, or even if you weren't intending to, but this kind of intrigues you and invites you into the dance, Today's dance, is my life serial suffering? It could be from addiction. That would be the very visible suffering. Or it may be from unmanageability. That would be the source of your suffering. Do you believe you can change? Well, I mean, that's almost a trick question to this group. Who would take Saturday out to spend some time and some money if you registered? For this event, if you didn't think that something can change, something can change. I didn't know that in February of 1984. I didn't know I needed to change. I didn't know that change was necessary. I didn't know that there was a process for change. I knew nothing. Oh my God, I was so clueless. It's amazing that I came to AA. It's amazing that I followed direction. It's amazing that I stayed around for four years going to a meeting every day, calling a sponsor every day, not having a clue that I needed to change and that change was being offered. This man said to me, and you've seen me do it before, but it's such a powerful, powerful image. I hope you're looking at me. He said, Herb, you have a lot of information. I'm 48 years old, four years sober a graduate education in philosophy, theology, and psychology, three separate graduate educations. 
four years sober, going to a meeting every day, talking to a sponsor every day. And he said, her, he's not my sponsor. He's my step guide at this point. I don't even know that. I've just asked for help. You have a lot of information, but you have very little transformation. The curtain began to part. And he said, I invite you to pray to have your information and your experiences set aside. You've got valid information. You've got lots of valid experiences. But to the extent that you hold on to them, your information and your experience, you're prohibited from having any new knowledge or new information. Well, I mean, it just made such sense to me. I had never heard about it. I didn't ever try it. And then I began to use what he called the set-aside prayer. And it's changed. And I changed it for this particular event. It's geared specifically to eight and nine. Join me if you care to. At least in the commitment to have an open mind and open heart. And to have it opened. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, steps eight and nine in you, for an open mind and a new experience with myself, steps eight and nine, and especially you. On page 25 in the big book, Bill uses just this wonderful poetic metaphor, rocketed into the fourth dimension. Well, we need to get in the rocket then the rocket will take you where the rocket's going to go. We do have a responsibility to do some navigation while in the rocket. Steps one through three begin the journey, a relationship with power. I'm not going to use the word God. Don't need to. It, sometimes it gets in the way. I don't need to use a word that even connotes spirituality. I don't need to. It might get in the way. From my standpoint, spirituality is a synonym for relationship. A relationship with power, a relationship with life. Keep it really simple. Keep it really personal. Keep it really practical. A relationship with life. I need power to navigate life. <clears throat> That second stage of the rocket launch, removing the obstacles to power in myself so that I can have a relationship with myself, steps four through nine, seven. And then that third stage of the rocket launch, step three, uh, stage three, eight and nine. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That final phase of the program of recovery, steps one through nine, that final phase, rehabilitating our relationships with other people, with the world itself, with life itself, steps eight and nine. At the end of the process on page 83, I believe it is in 84, <clears throat> it says, <clears throat> that if we're painstaking, so many people don't look it up. They just hear the words and they misinterpret what it means. It doesn't mean pain. Look it up. Painstaking means 
careful with detail. That's all paying attention to the specific and precise directions in the big book, the suggestions. The book uses the term recovered. On, take a look at the title page of the big book. How many thousands of men and women have recovered? The word used on page 84 at the end of the promises is that we're placed in a position of neutrality. It's a synonym for recovered. We are placed, here the grace, in a position of neutrality. We're not resisting it. We're not fighting it. We're not attracted to it. It's just like it's invisible in our consciousness. The entire, the entire promise of the process, steps one through nine, is a spiritual awakening. Listen to step 12. It's right there in the step itself. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. I emphasize the the. I wish the book had it in italic so that people would get that. It's not having had a spiritual awakening as a result. No, there's only one result that's promised from finishing, finishing, hello, finishing the ninth step. Many of the people I meet and talk to seriously about their program have completed the fifth step. Somehow they stop there. They don't do six and seven for some reason, and they're so simple, they're so small, they're so easy to complete. But the majority of people I meet have not finished, maybe haven't even addressed steps eight and nine. And they wonder why they're suffering. The promises are not promised until you've finished the ninth step. Oh, the book says before you're halfway through trying to probably give us an approximation. It's not my experience. In fact, I may have begun to experience the promises, but I was unconscious of that. In 1988, when I was going through this step process for the first time at four years of sobriety. But when I was finished with my ninth step, and you'll hear more about that as we go through the day. I was able, when I finished, I was able to look back over my shoulder in retrospect, which is the way I normally see anything clearly in retrospect. And have a awareness for the very first time that I had been changed. It was stunning to me, a radical change in the way I think and feel and behave. That's how Bill describes it in Appendix 2. Appendix 2 is critical. I introduced that at the very first meeting of my annual weekly workshops, because this is the value proposition. This is the reason and the purpose that we do these steps, not addiction. The resolution of addiction is a byproduct of an awakening, of a connection with power. You've heard perhaps the Buddhist little, uh, how do you say, metaphor or story or poem 
instruction, the teacher stands on the path pointing the way to the light. The light is the point. Unfortunately, many people begin to worship the finger. In the rooms, it would be many people worship steps, worship meetings, worship sponsors. These are just tools. These are the fingers that point the way to the light. The whole point of all of this is to have a relationship with the light. A change in the way we think and feel and behave. It's pretty radical. And it's done to us, not by us, but not without us. Yes, we've boarded the rocket ship. And the rocket ship will take us to where the rocket ship is going, but we have a responsibility to navigate it, to use the levers of the process to make sure that we're on target. And when we get off target, to do course correction. So this is the cartoon bondage of addiction, certainly bondage of self, self-centeredness. Bill says it, that's the root of the problem, page 62. But here's the truth, that's unmanageability. There's no walls, there's no ceiling, there's no floor. It's just pathetic Herbie holding the bars in front of his face, having the delusion that he's a victim. Somebody placed him in the bars. And all he has to do is release his grip. When you look up the word forgiveness in a dictionary, please do that sometime. A decision to release. Now, of course, the secret sauce here for the 12-step program is it's twofold. A decision to release, but an experience of being released that grace and willingness, that willingness and grace, my willingness to take action and then experiencing results that disproportionately larger than my actions and my contribution to it. That's that spiritual awakening, disproportionate to my contribution. I call that spiritual math. Regular math, one plus one equals two. Spiritual math, one plus one equals five. I can't get there from here, and yet here I am. Bill Wilson used the term delivered. I just heard it recently. It's like stunning term. I was delivered. Oh, sure, I got into the rocket. But the rocket delivered me to the destination. Not without my collaboration. So here we are in this third stage of the program of recovery to stay with the rocket launch metaphor. It's in the chapter, More Action. Step eight, naming harms. We'll take a deep look at that, as deep as you want to go. And I'd like you to bring experience and questions and comments and successes and challenges that you had 
most people, when I talk to them, and I'm saying most, really, it's at least 80% of the people I talk to about step eight are not very clear about what it is. They, I ask them what the harm is, and they start talking about their behavior. Our behavior is not the harm. The harm is the impact of my behavior on people and institutions. I do behave poorly. That's my problem. The impact of that negative behavior on others becomes their problem. The impact, how they received it, how it diminished them, how it reduced the quality of their lives. That's the harm. And the more specific that we can be, the better we can resolve it in terms of coming to a solution in step nine, making amends. From my standpoint, amends has two connotations, amend, change. In my case, most of you know, you've heard lots of my commentary on my relationship with my wife and the amends that I made for my infidelity. Well, it would be ridiculous if I went to her making amends for infidelity and still practicing infidelity. So obviously I had to change in that or at least be willing to be changed. Please hear that in the balance. Fortunately, as I finished step six and seven, I was delivered from that character defect. So I was very able to authentically make amends. <clears throat> I had already changed my behavior and then I had to figure out how to repair that damage. We can review some of that for those of you who haven't heard my experience when we get there, if you ask about it. <clears throat> it's an interesting dynamic. Notice the, the, the terms here, the, the verbs that I'm using for steps eight and nine. It's an interesting dynamic. My understanding of what makes us, each one of us, specifically human. We're not gorillas. What makes us different? We have the capacity to know and to learn, and we have the capacity to take action, voluntary, completely free will. I have two functions in my cortex, that third brain that we developed over millions of years that, that makes me a human, two functions. They're not organs in the cortex. They're not places in the cortex. They're functions in that third brain. I have the ability to know and to know that I know. I can transcend myself and observe myself. No other sentient human being, uh, no other sentient being has that capacity to know and to know that they know. 
But if knowing something were the only thing, nothing would get done. The other function, again, not an organ, not a place, but the function of the cortex is that we have the ability to make a decision. We have free will. Where is it free? Not in addiction. That's the whole point of powerless. Not in unmanageability. That's the whole point of powerless. Bill nails it in step two, chapter four, page 53. You can make notes on this. Don't be, please, don't be looking through your book right now. It'll be a distraction from really getting the sense of and the context of and the meaning of what I'm saying. Just make notes about it. Page 53, God is or God isn't, power is or power isn't. What's your choice? The proper use of our will is God or no God. He's, he's helping us prepare for step three, which formally says a decision to turn. A decision to turn from myself focused to my awareness of and consideration of others, turning from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. That's step three, establishing a relationship with that light, establishing a relationship with that power, establishing a commitment to clean out the channel that is me so that I can be connected to a relationship with life, a relationship with light, a relationship with reality by finishing steps four through nine. From my standpoint, steps four through nine are the process of forgiveness. Bill doesn't talk that way in the big book, although he implies it. One of the reasons I do a lot of work with Dr. Fred Luskin now is because he comes from the secular science dimension that completely confirms the spiritual 12-step experience that I've had. His book is Forgive for Good. I'll probably mention it more times than one. Rainey will certainly put it in the chat. Dr. Fred Luskin, he's a professor at Stanford. He did his doctoral dissertation on forgiveness back 30 years ago and wrote his book, Forgive for Good. After I had finished these steps, I became acquainted with his work, and I could see that there's a total parallel between the secular and the spiritual. And when I noted that with him, he said, yes, there's a total parallel. The dynamic is the same. The words are different. He had the enough humility to say, Herb, although the dynamic is the same and the words are different, you in the spiritual world, you in the 12-step world have a specific advantage. And I said, what's that? He said, you have God. You have a power that you can rely on for help and healing. That's not available to us in the secular world, in the world of psychology, in the world of science. So it's a, it's a specific advantage, whether in all humility, he said, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. That they believe it's true does matter. If you've seen him, you'll understand where he comes from and relate to that. <clears throat> Making amends is a change. That 
is almost a prerequisite that you make the change before you approach the person or the institution to offer a repair of the damage, as I mentioned. So there's two aspects. The amend means that I change. The amend means that then I repair the damage that I've created to others, either persons or institutions. So let's take a look at step eight. My sense is it has two parts. Made a list of all persons we had harmed. I suggest, because it's my experience, that we use a three by five card. The first time I did it, I had a large uh, pad and I made all of the list on the pad and there were like 35 entries there. It, become, it became quite messy after I had made a couple of the amends and made some notes and did numbers and that kind of, so I said, I, it was recommended to me that I use a three by five card. That's not in the big book. It's just a mechanical suggestion based on experience. The second part is became willing to make amends to them all. The making the list is one thing, but it may be that on that list, there's things that you're certainly willing to do because they're relatively easy or they're practical. But then there are some that are pretty difficult. And it's kind of like, yeah, no, I'm not really too excited about that. Then there are some on there, hell no. They did more to me and I'm, mm, and you have a death grip on our attitude toward the event or the circumstance. It's okay. The list is of all the persons. And then we take a look at the list to determine our willingness from my standpoint. That list includes who did I diminish? See, I'm using a word that's not in the big book because I, I needed to grapple with the word harm. Because harm sounds like you do prison time. Harm sounds like you crashed a car into somebody. You maimed them. You killed. No, no, no. It's not that dramatic. I was emotionally abusive to my wife. Not physically. But I created such a negative environment that uh, six months before she, she got sober, we were 18 years married that when she would approach me, she would stutter. I had been so Genghis Khan. I'm not proud of that, of course. I'm in total, hum I'm humiliated by it, but I'm also in total regret. She died four years ago. That regret still, despite the fact I've, I think processed the, the, the grief, took a couple of years, um, I still have that, a little bit of the shadow of that regret. Who did I diminish? Be specific with the names. And then what did I do? So it is about our behavior in this preparation. What did I do behaviorally, specifically? The more specific, the better resolution you'll have with regard to the amend. What harm did I cause? 
Now there's the real question, the impact of what I did on the other person, financially, physically, mentally, emotionally, perhaps spiritually, the 12 and 12, they're in the step eight, chapter eight in the 12 and 12. If you're interested in Bill's commentary, please do not overlook it. It's got some very wonderful, Bill was 20 years plus sober when the 12, when the 12 and 12 was published, 1951, I believe, <clears throat> maybe 1953. He got sober in 1934, established Alcoholics Anonymous in 1935 when Bob got sober, wrote the book in 1939, published it in 1939. So he was five years sober when he wrote the big book. When he wrote the 12 and 12, 1953, I believe it is. All right. So he's got 20 years of sobriety. It's 15 years after the big book was written. He's got a lot of experience and additional commentary to make about that experience. Please make the distinction between what I did and the harm I caused. What I did is my role and responsibility for action. The harm caused, I may not even know exactly. That's why in step nine, we ask them. But we do the best we can in prayer to figure it out. And then after people have finished these first three items for their entire list, I asked them to then write out the specific action. And I do that intentionally so that they don't modify the specific uh, uh, action and the harm caused in the process. So I have them do who did I diminish? What did I do? What harm did I cause? And finish all their cards. And then I give them the instruction to the specific action. So they're not cutting themselves any slack, consciously or unconsciously. We have a tendency to protect ourselves from difficult actions, painful, embarrassing experiences. And then once that's done, the second half of, as I say, step eight, am I willing to repair the damage? Yes, I'm willing, I'm moderately willing. No, hell no. It might be three categories, one, two, and three. And, 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 and I, I suggest always, and it's not in the big book again, but this is my experience, that people start with the easiest one, not the hardest one. Sometimes the family is the easiest one. Sometimes it's the hardest one. Don't make up your formula for it. Don't have a prejudice about it. Start with the easy one. More about that maybe as we have some dialogue. Good. Okay, so now I'm gonna unhook from the PowerPoint. <clears throat> and I would be very interested in any questions that you have, certainly about what I've said. 
which is not a full presentation or unpacking of step eight. If you want that, go to the YouTube on step eight in the Tuesday workshop or go to the YouTube for prior discussions of step eight and nine. Uh, there'll be one, two hour discussions or presentations on step eight going through line by line the big book, going through line by line the, the 12 and 12, and my knowledge and my experience in some detail. I don't intend that this be used that way. This is an experiment for you to see if, in fact, you have questions about your uh, 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 clarity with, uh, with regard to harm done to individuals and to uh, uh, institutions. So I'm going to pause now and see if we have any hands that people want to ask questions on or, or share your experience about creating the list of harms and getting clear about the behavior and getting clear about what the amends ought to be and getting clear about what the harm is. So many things that we need to get clear on. No, no, in, there's no inappropriate or wrong questions, as long as they're sincere. Well, it also reminds me uh, to make the comment, lots of sponsors tell people to burn their fourth step. Please don't do that. To throw away or get rid of their fourth step after their fifth step. Please don't do that. Step eight in the big book says, we made a list of harms. We did so when we took inventory. So you use steps four and five as the document to surface the probable amends that you need to make. So the man who took me through the work suggested that I finish my ninth step. And then if I wanted to, in some way, get rid of my my, my fourth and fifth step, as well as my eighth and ninth step work, so that uh, I bring it to closure. Um, not, I'm not giving any commentary on that right now, other than do not please throw, a, throw away or get rid of your steps four and five notes until you finish your ninth step. Hi, Herb. Um, curious about, can you elaborate a little bit more about the harms process. So you write, you, the first question is, what did I do? So that's the action of harm, which is very clear. I slapped somebody in the face. But you know, the impact that it had caused is that not really creating another character defect by me trying to mind read if it's not an obvious, if it's not an obvious situation. Well, uh, it, it's a great question. Just to from a mechanical standpoint, the first mm -hmm. thing you do is identify the person or institution. Mm -hmm. Then you identify the behavior that created harm, at least in your opinion. And then you try to assess, well, what was the harm done? But yes, you don't know what the harm was. You, unless, I mean, you might've had a car accident where somebody was maimed. That's pretty straightforward. Somebody mm -hmm. was maimed, they lost uh, a leg or mm -hmm. they lost some income or they had some pain. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, but you're absolutely right. Don't attempt to read minds. Oh, I must've hurt their feelings. Really? I mean, that's when we'll get to looking directly at step eight 
um, this man was very challenging to me. I said, well, I gossiped about them. He said, Herb, in your gossip, uh, talking about other people negatively, did they lose a job? Did they lose a reputation? Did they lose friendships? Did they lose opportunity? Then he reminded me, Herb, you're not that powerful. You're not that important. Now, he never told me what to do. He never told me what to think, but he always challenged me with the questions based on his knowledge and his experience. So I wonderful question on your part. Did you want to comment some more on that? I do, because I'm often challenged with this by protégés, right? So when they make their list, I let them make the list exactly the way they intuitively feel they want to make it. And very often the list is full of intentions, but there is no <laughs> harm done. Okay, because of the mind reading, right? No, so, so a lot you know, of guilt and shame. A lot of guilt and shame is in there. That too. That's very true too. You're right. I never thought about it from that yeah. point. But so yeah. you know, well, I you know, I wanted to um, steal somebody's car or whatever, but they actually never took the action to steal the car. Meaning, there's no harm done here. But that's people true. have a really great have a really great have a real great difficulty to understand because the other thing is we live in our head, right? So anything that's in my head is reality. Right, right. Well, right. and, and Where do you, how do you, how can you, like, how can you transmit that message well, that that is not the case? I mean, the, the obvious thing is very clear is to say, okay, you didn't steal the car. You didn't do any harm, right? You well, thought about it. That's, that's not my approach. Okay. So that's not my approach. I never tell them. I ask them questions. Okay, so can you give me a couple of examples, please? Sure. So you pretend you're the sponsee and you're coming out. Okay. Say, say what a sponsee would say to you. Um, well, Herb, on my list, I have Uncle John, okay? Uh, Uncle John was always mean to me, and uh, he had a favorite garden shed, and I always wanted to, and thought about burning down that garden shed. Yeah. So uh, how do I make amends for that, Herb? All right. So amends is for harm done. What harm did you do? Uh, well, I wanted to burn down the shed. I'm asking you, what harms did you do? I don't, I'm not hearing any harms. What harms are you seeing? How was he negatively impacted? How did you diminish the quality of his life? I didn't. Ah, well, see, I didn't tell them that now. But I asked them questions, so they came to the conclusion. Okay, all right. The questions are critically important. And when you have knowledge and you have experience, then you can phrase a question to lead them down the canyon so that they can have the curtain part and have an experience themselves. How many times do do people resist being told? (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, especially in our in our in our fraternity, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, Herb. I appreciate that. Well, but see, that's a critical dialogue between a sponsor and or somebody who's trying to help. It may not be a sponsor. It may be a step guide or a good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm saying, and, and if I, I'll probably say it more than once, sponsorship and or step guide is the most important relationship mm-hmm. in this step. Uh, um, other than this is the only eight and nine are the only steps I believe you cannot do on your own. You could do every other step on your own, probably not as well, but the eight and nine, I don't think you could possibly do it well at all 
because you're the subject and, and you cannot see the forest for the trees. You, you need somebody else with experience. This man said to me when I shared something in my fifth step and we were preparing my eighth and ninth step, he said, I have no experience in that. I, I cannot help you. So go to a woman who's recovered in the program and has experience with eight and nine and ask her what she would recommend you do about this particular amend to a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, cause he didn't know even the right questions to ask. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Wonderful prompting. See, that's part of what we do here in the dialogue is you'll ask a question and that'll press a button for knowledge and or experience of mind that I can then expand on it. So thank you. That was, that was wonderful, Millie. The questions so are much. really important. Lead them, lead them, lead them into mm-hmm. an experience. There's no correct answers here. Please. There are no correct answers. There's only the answer the person comes to and the experience that they have. So part two, back to what you were teaching us earlier, step eight, um, what I wrote down was willing to make the amends. So what I wrote after that was to bring down my guard to stop expecting so much from him. So then I started going through these questions, one through five, you know, who did I diminish? Okay, my brother, Greg, well, what did I do? Well, I ignored him. I didn't include him. Um, all with the intention of punishment. So that's where it gets in my head that I think Millie was alluding to. Um, and then the next one, what harm did I cause? I may have caused confusion for him. Well, but see, now you're now I you don't really speaking. know, though. That's correct. <laughs> exactly. Now you're speculating and you don't really know. Exactly. And, and that's the answer on the card. Yeah. What harm did I do? I really don't know. I really no. don't know. And you'll yeah. see when I get into the ninth step, Okay. Part, part of the process is we ask them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I that's that's good. All right. That's all I needed. Thank you. All right. Well, you've also reminded me that I started off talking about the dynamic of the steps where we're naming the step in the cortex we that we know and we do with our mind and our will. And I don't think I completed that thought. And that is. <clears throat> All of the even steps are naming steps. All of the odd steps are decision and taking action steps. They're built specifically for us as human beings that have the ability to know and the ability to make a decision and take action. Can you say that again? All the even steps are what and all the odd steps are what? All of the even steps are naming steps, knowing steps. And all of the odd steps are making decisions and taking action steps. It's a tremendous insight to see the dynamic of the steps that are built specifically for us to know and to do. Got it. Yeah, that's really helpful. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. You know, when it says, except when to do so would injure them or others, I don't get a pass on that. I mean, part of it, I think you have said is the ego reduction and really seeing the harm that I did. I don't, I don't get to excuse myself from that. But on the other hand, I don't need to live in sort of a, a grandiose uh, self, uh, self-hatred from all this and just being realistic about what I really did and how, how to address it.
So well, what you're referring to, Paul, and I want to make it clear for everybody else because it's really important. You hear it in meetings periodically, not a lot, but you hear it enough that I'm going to make comment on it. And somebody will say, "Well, the the book says when when to do so would create harm." on them or others, and I'm another, so I can't create harm for myself. And that's just bullshit. I'm going to just say it that clearly. That's just bullshit. All right? That's a way for somebody to take a a victim stance and not take responsibility. Um, The whole point of the steps one through nine, especially eight and nine, is the deflation of the ego at depth. Mm-hmm. It is supposed to deflate you. It <laughs> is supposed to humiliate you so that you get a taste of humility finally. And one of the things that this man who took me through the steps kindly said, but directly said, he said, Herb, you're not that important. Mm-hmm. You're not the center of the universe. You're not that powerful. And Bill says it in step three there. He says, we have to quit playing God. All right? We're, we're not the director. We're the actor. And, and somebody pointed out earlier, we don't read minds. So if you don't know, don't make up a story. Yes. All right? And, or even if you just have suspected, hold it in sort of a question. I suspected. We'll talk more about that when we get to the ninth step. Having that conversation is quite intimidating. It's quite difficult because you're opening yourself up to, in a very vulnerable way, uh, to other people's anger and or other people's deep hurt. And who wants to hear that stuff? Well, I need to, actually. I needed to sit down with my each of my two daughters. I, I have a son... He wasn't in program and he was very young at the time, but my two daughters were in program and they were mm, young adults by definition. And um, when, when I began the process of the night set, which we'll talk about in a little bit here, um, I was there for two hours when I asked the question, how did that impact you? And is there anything else? Those two questions, I mean, they, <laughs> they're quite verbal. <laughs> and, and it was hard to hear. And it was hard to hear. But it established the healing, the beginning of a healing relationship uh, 30 years later that has just been, I mean, solid foundation. Question. I, I don't know why the idea of the three by five cards really appeals to me, but it does. I like that. It breaks it down into little nuggets that seem manageable to me. Well, it becomes mechanically very manageable because you can sort it out by priorities. You can make right. notes on it. Yeah. So, and, and I'm not sure I heard this correctly, so I'm asking you to repeat it. Did you say that you... On this fourth question, what specific action is necessary? Did you say to wait on that on all of your cards? Wait until you're done with all your cards before you answer that question? That's my approach to sponsees because that was the approach that I was given. And that was he gave me the first three questions. I finished that project. I had probably 30 or 40 amends to make. 
and I had finished the answers to those three questions, then I met with them and reviewed all of that. And that's where he asked, like uh, Paul was uh, uh, saying about the challenge. He, he just asked me, well, what's the harm, Herb? Mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 Herb. I'm not hearing harm. And I would repeat because I was talking about behavior. I wasn't talking about harm because, you know, I'm all powerful, but I don't know that. I'm just, well, aren't you hearing me? I said, this is what I did. I said, no, that's what you did. What's the harm? This is what I did. No, that's what you did, not the harm. And I, I mean, until I, oh, how was it received by the other person? What was the impact on the other person? Oh, that's the harm. That's where I created the word diminish. How did I diminish the quality of their life? And then, um, and then after we got, the first three questions all clarified. Then he says, now go home and write out the fourth answer to each of those on each of those cards. What is the specific uh, repair, the, the, the change in you that's necessary and the repair of the damage to that person? What's going to repair the damage? And if you don't know, just put a question mark. That way it's all in writing numbers one, two, and three. So I now I can't in any unconscious or conscious way mitigate the repair. Okay. Does that help? It does. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to actually give it a fuller discussion. Anything else? Um, the more we, I, I mean, I like the, I can see now that you're distinguishing what did I do versus what harm did I cause, but I'm still a little unclear what to do with, oh, I didn't cause any harm. Where do I go with that? Deal with your guilt and shame. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's, because it's all about you at that point. But the, the question about uh, the harm you might need to talk to an attorney. You might need to talk to an accountant. You might need to talk to a doctor. You might need to talk to an insurance agent. You need to talk to people who have knowledge and experience with the implications of the harm that I caused. All right, so let me get specific here. I have a, I have a person who I yelled at Yes. Who, who was visiting me in the hospital, being totally kind. And I yelled at her. Yes. She pretty much terminated the relationship shortly after that. Yes. I begin, I, I mean, I think I have an idea of what harm I caused her. It sure. caused her some kind of harm to terminate the relationship with me. Sure. Yeah. But I'm 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 guessing as to specifics. I don't know exactly what it did yes. to her. No, that's right. You don't. That's right. But you suspect that you created her because she terminated the relationship. It's a fairly right. legitimate conclusion on your part, but you don't know whether it's correct or not. Right. So how free do you want to be? Totally. <laughs> so how long ago was the event? I don't even want to tell you it was so many years ago. I, know. I can't I can't get rid of it. I can't I can't lose it no matter how I, I, I think about it. I, I can't lose. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a long time ago. And so 
there's a couple questions here. Number one is, do you have uh, an ability to make contact with her? I believe I can, yes. All right. So figure out, I do believe I caused harm. And um, it's unresolved. But I don't know the truth of that. So my recommendation is that you make contact with her somehow, probably a handwritten note. Email might work if, in fact, you have that connection with her. Um, but you send her a note some way and indicate, I have a sense that we had a very unfortunate experience back in the day, and um, I hurt your feelings, but I don't know exactly how you received uh, my uh, inappropriate emotional outburst. And if, if you want to, to talk to me about it, I will be very open to hearing from you. You're inviting her. So you're not committing that this is what you did because you don't know. You're just inviting her if it's an issue she may not want anything to do with you, right? but you're inviting her. If she said yes, and we can talk about it, you either do it on the phone or you meet personally, whatever you and she decide. If she said no, then you still have this worm in the wood, don't you? Mm -hmm. So my process is, and I made it up, it's not in the big book, is a spiritual process of prayer a prayer for their healing. If they don't want to see me or I can't find them or I shouldn't find them, I say, well, it was this level of harm on a scale of one to 10, it was a two, I'll pray three days for this person's healing. Oh no, it was a five, I'll pray a week for their healing. Oh, it was a 10, <laughs> I'll pray a month or two months each day for their healing. See, I have a specific plan of action in prayer that I take and I complete it, and then I'm free of it. At least okay. that's my approach. But I also hold if I ever meet them or, or connect to them in any way, and it's appropriate that we, it, it come up, I, will, I am ready to make a verbal amend or address the issue. Okay. I like that too. I got free of all my resentments the very first time around in 1988. I, 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 of, yeah, uh, free of all my resentments because of the prayer. And I got free of all of my amends because of prayer. I learned it in the resentment process because there's a prayer in between column three and column four on pages 66 and 67 that asks us to pray for the removal of deep resentment. We're not praying for them. We're praying for ourselves. We're praying for the spiritual surgeon to come in with the scalpel and remove the cancer of this resentment from me. In the case that we're talking, that I gave you the recommendation, we're actually praying for them, not praying for ourselves. I just want to be really clear about that. Okay, I was got you. It, was it clear? <clears throat> yes, it was. All right. Thank you. Please, please. I, I'm so new to this, but your response to 
to her, Herb, I thought sounded rather legalistic or, or something. And, and I'm not. And Tell me and, about that. Tell me what you perceived. Well, it just was the wording that you used. And if I had gone to the hospital to see Laura and I don't know the background and I don't know the story. I love to make up stories, but I don't know it. If I came in to see you and, and I was kind and I was visiting you and you yelled at me, my feelings would have been profoundly hurt. Yes. And what I see in my mind is write her a letter and say, I am so sorry that I yelled at you in the hospital when you came to see me. Yes. I hope you can forgive me. It was very hurtful. It was inappropriate. And please, can we be friends again or can we talk? I love that. That's much more human than my words. <laughs> well, you know, I just felt like I, if you had written me that letter, I would have said, well, don't you know what you did to me? You well, then, me the, the, perhaps. And, and first of all, I love your words and approach. And I would endorse that 100 percent over the words that I used. I was using a little more cautious approach because she said it had been a very long time since the event took place. So I didn't want to create a burden. On, this is my thinking. I didn't want to create any uh, guilting or shaming on my part of her uh, for stepping away without talking to me. But I love your words. And I would completely scratch mine and, and exchange it for yours. For me, at this stage in my life, what I need to be willing to do is allow myself to be very vulnerable. You know, yeah, 100%. That's the difficulty of eight and nine is that we become, wow, really vulnerable. And then the other thing that I wanted to talk about was when you mentioned, did it do harm? Did yes. it make them lose a friendship? Did it affect their income? I, my son-in-law, um, they are contemplating moving back to the East Coast. And I talked, I I'm in a 12-step program. I can't eat flour. I, I do not eat flour and sugar. And within my program with some of my fellows, I felt compelled to bring up all the reasons why I was really angry at my son-in-law for even contemplating this. Moving? moving oh okay but what did that have to do with your program but, well i kind of trash talked about him i i pointed to, out to, all, to, to my fellows oh you know? okay all right all right and, and so when i came away from that yeah. i felt as though i had eaten a big box of chocolates uh, I, I felt dirty yeah. i felt I see. yeah yeah really dishonorable to him yeah. because yeah. He's a wonderful person. All right. So, but what's your question? Wait, 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 wait. What's your question? How do I, do I make amends to myself? I'm not going to tell him about that. Well, no, you didn't harm him. Well, in some ways I did harm his reputation. I, oh, I really, really, really. You harmed his reputation. Really? Well, I, I shared things about him that, you know. So what, what was the impact of that on him? If he would know, he would be hurt. Yes, but he doesn't know. So he's not hurt. So what's the impact on him? I guess it's none, but I got confused. About but wait, it. Don't, don't, don't throw that away. I guess it's none. Okay. No, it's none. There's no impact on him. If he meets my friend later on in a social situation, will she think less of him? She might. How would that harm him? 
So the person you gossiped to was harmed, not the person you gossiped about. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So do I then go back to the person that I gossiped to and say, I want to re- I want to apologize for saying negative things about my son-in-law, which might make you pull away from him? The answer is maybe. Is it of substance? Is there a high likelihood that there's going to be a connection? Or is it just another kind of like story that you're making up about possibilities? Mm-hmm. Hard to tell. Well, and that's why I can't give you a black and white answer. And I said, it's possible that you need to make amend. My sense is it's highly unlikely that you need to make an amend. What you need to do is um, for yourself is probably clean up the by praying for his journey and his decisions and also praying for the people that you gossip to now maybe at some point in a very informal way this would be my take on it not knowing any more detail i would want to know a lot more detail but not today um uh that uh you know if you're with this group again you might say you know i really slipped off the edge i was venting um and it was inappropriate for me to uh discuss my family business here or, or whatever your words were. I mean, it's obviously very clear from somebody else's comments about, or your comments about the letter, that uh, I, I come from a male perspective. And <laughs> that's not necessarily uh, a, a nice, warm, fuzzy human or female perspective. Because your words were just, I mean, they were wonderful. But yeah, so. I feel like it, I'm holding a hot potato because I'm very uncomfortable about it. And really what I want to do without thinking and without praying and without pausing, I, I, I want to assuage my feeling of guilt and, and, and yuckiness by quickly saying to them, please disregard everything I said. So I'm going to sit with this and I'm going to pray with it. And, and it's, first of all, get a perspective. Yes, please do that. Pause and get a perspective. How important was your comments to them? Because if I were them, it said more about you than it said about your son. Exactly. Well, maybe that's what the, what the issue is, right? There you go. Yeah. And there again is a hot potato. I want to throw it back and get rid of it. So I'm... I'm well, I want to rehabilitate my reputation. Right. You hit the nail on the head thank you for your wisdom and pointedness <laughs> uh, you know you know uh, it's because oh, i've had wisdom people in my lives who have been direct mm-hmm. they were not worried about saving my feelings right. they were w- concerned about helping me save my life thank you and thank that's you. that's the true love that we talk about and and but but again some of us, and I suspect most of us, have a little bit of a perfectionist attitude about it. Yeah, exactly. And so we have to be a little bit broader, be broader uh, than, than you don't have to be perfect in the eyes of your friends or even in your own eyes. And if there's something that needs to be said, then say it. But be careful that you're, it's just another 
not another mm, pride movement where you're trying to look good. Right. Thank yeah. you very much. That is such a great perspective. Yeah. Thank you. Balance, balance is my biggest challenge. How do you stay balanced in the terms of? Yes, yes, I, I would mind too. Well, but you, the, 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 the answer to that question is I pause mm -hmm. and I pray and I talk to experienced people. If I have a sponsor or a, or a, mm, a therapist uh, and or a good, a good friend, single friend that I can talk confidentially with, then, then it's probably better that I not just pray and come to conclusion on my own. Yeah. It's probably best that I also, that I also talk to at least one person that's experienced that will give me the feedback on what I'm thinking and possibly doing. Yeah. And, and you're right about it being prideful. I, I I'm so, there isn't a huge element of pride. I don't want anybody to think less of my perfect family, you know, which is an, a total illusion and delusion. Or, or my perfect self. <laughs> <You're right. Yeah. laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, I know. Thanks a lot. Truly, yes. truly, truly, thanks a lot. Really. I'm serious. I'll walk into a room of people who have done my work, and I literally walked over to a small coterie of people in a corner. There were 10 or 12 people there, and they said, oh, Herb, good to see you. Oh, Herb, we love you, and we hate you. I know. Well, no, I don't hate you. I, I'm really... Oh, no, they said it with a smile so, on their face. Oh, so grateful. You, you, you wield a, a gentle sledgehammer to crack open my shell of denial and arrogance and self-centeredness. And it's truly, it's a... Nice. It's, it's a good, good thing. Thank you. Holding that resentment has prevented me from being able to have a healthy relationship with him has created a, a block in my life. And so um, holding on to that resentment perhaps has caused me harm Yeah, that I need to let go of in order to have any kind of healthy interactions with Uncle John or perhaps anybody else. Right. Well, you're talking about self-forgiveness and it's very legitimate. Um, my sense is, because it was my experience, is when I finished the ninth step, where I brought, I'll use my terms today, I didn't use them at the, that time, I was completely unconscious, just following the mechanical protocols. When I finished the ninth step of bringing healing and forgiveness to them, I actually felt healed and forgiven myself. Not because I did anything specific for myself, but because I was following the direction of completing the amends to other people. So not only was I making a conscious decision to change my behavior in many ways to finally be in alignment with principles, I was actually bringing healing and repair of damage to the other people. I felt whole at the end of it. There is a process, though, for self-forgiveness in the same way in the big book, there's a process for the releasing of yourself from these deep resentments. And I just mentioned that in terms of the prayer for the removal of deep resentment. And there is a process for the forgiveness of oneself. Uh, Dr. Luskin and I 
uh, we'll be doing a workshop on self-forgiveness specifically in October. Um, I, I forget exactly when the next workshop is. Um, it's scheduled and um, uh, we will be doing the next phase of what we've been talking about is where we're, we're in the forgiveness and the sort of the mechanical parts of the forgiveness process. But in October, we're going to specifically focus on uh, from his standpoint, the psychological scientific standpoint, uh, the process uh, applying it to self-forgiveness. But my sense is that once you finish the ninth step, and uh, by the way, uh, and I'll mention this um, in the next section concerning the ninth step, the big book says we commence steps 10, 11, and 12 as we're doing the ninth step. So my consciousness began to really boom. And so I got a much more uh, robust experience of consciousness and my lack of power and the humility that needs to come with that. And all of those pieces seem to come together in a nice way. Does that all make sense? Um, it does, but I suspect that my frame of mind and emotional state right now, it's kind of washing over me before. So I, I might not yeah. really fully get it yet, but I sure. think it makes sense. <laughs> well, you're in process. Um, I'm not asking, but you're in process someplace in the step work. So my sense is, though, that you've not completed your ninth step. Oh, absolutely. I'm way back in the beginning. Well, I'm way back in the beginning. Yeah. So, so yes, you're, you're now you're bringing in intellectual academic information, which kind of makes sense, but you're not able to attach to it because you don't have the experience with it yet. Yeah. And, and yes. And, and right now, I guess I'm kind of thinking about the, um, the self-forgiveness thing because there's a kind of a major issue in my life right now that's a huge stumbling block that I'm, I'm starting to think it's like 15 years of not taking care of business and now I have to face the consequences and I'm kind of feeling like a lot of it is yeah. not entirely but a lot of it is my fault my responsibility even, and even in order to get past true. that block I'm wondering if I need to forgive myself so that I can actually then be able to take the appropriate actions to deal with consequences. Well, you've, you've seen me do that, right? I look up the word forgiveness in a dictionary and the dictionary says a decision to release. All right? Yeah. It's a very uncomfortable stance, mm -hmm. clenched fist. But when I make the decision, yeah, when I make the decision to release, it's a process, steps four through nine, it's a process of my willingness. It's a process of God's grace. I cannot do that on my own. I'm very clear. I've been in years of therapy. It didn't happen. I've been in years of self-help. It didn't happen. I've been in years in AA. It didn't happen. I was one year in the step process, and I was released. I was released. Hear the vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm holding on so tight to the resistance. And my study group this morning, we were talking about this forgiveness stuff. And uh, one of the comments that came up in the discussion was um, somebody reminded us of the, um, you just mentioned it, the prayer for the um, 
release of deep resentments. And it occurred to us that that's a prayer of forgiveness. Wonderful. Oh, it's a prayer of relief. And forgiveness is relief. And and I was also connecting it to the uh, perfectionism. My study partner asked me, well, what is forgiveness to me? I was like, I don't even know. My answer was, I, I don't even, on, on the experiential level, and then the way I feel about it, I don't even know. And it's like, it doesn't exist for me because as being a perfectionist and wanting to control everything, it's like, it's, I have to be, I have to live up to standards and failure to meet those standards. There is no grace and there is no forgiveness for me. But I guess forgiveness is releasing all the unenforceable expectations or standards. And I'm butchering that phrase, but. No, no, it's wonderful. Um, Father, uh, Dr. Luskin created that word unenforceable rules and you've taken liberty with it which is wonderful that you're using it creatively for yourself we don't know that we don't know that we've created a story and a script for ourselves and for the world and that's the source of our resentment because the world and even ourselves we don't live up to our script yeah, it doesn't matter if it's my standards or other standards it's, it's those standards that gotta be lived it's like that's how I've my structure for surviving life. And it's all a myth. Doesn't work. It's all yeah. a myth. Yeah. It's not true. It's not valid. It's a story we make up that fortunately the fourth step releases us from. And your your connection to the that prayer and the forgiveness process is absolutely, I mean, essential for us. And, and therefore, therefore, bottom line for you specifically would to be to pray for the ability to release, the ability to heal, the ability to forgive. But using the terms release and heal might be a little more practical terms. It's not about that you got to get the right words. Of course, as you know, you've heard me say, uh, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. So the more precise and creative that we can become about the words, we become then more drawn into the consciousness of the words that we're mouthing. Yeah, wonderful. Am I looking for quick fixes? Yes, I want the fix now. Slow no, process. I don't have the patience we're, for. Yeah, we're, we're a gathering of addicts. By definition, we want a quick fix. All right. And the humility that we derive from the experience of this process is just not a quick fix. It's a dimmer switch. No, but that's a good point about the humility that we get derived from the process. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, and, and you've heard me say it again, those people around, I say it regularly uh, about different things. But a, a speaker in a meeting once said, and it's so powerful because it's such a great image and simple. You cannot make a tulip grow by pulling on it. Oh, my God. That's right. Of course. Each one of us is a tulip or whatever image we want to use. And it's organic. It's going to be organic. And there's a natural flow of release and healing and growth, like the dimmer switch goes up a notch at a time. Yeah. Yeah. 
and that's perfectly logical and I get it. And yet I'm still pulling on the tulip. <laughs> well, but, it, but, but, but you, but you can relate to it now in a way that you couldn't three or four years ago, because you have had the experience of it. You have experienced the growth. You have experienced the change. It's not as fast and it's not as big as you want it, but you have experienced it. Yeah. I know. So I say, I say again, lean gently into it and allow the spirit to drag you forth. <laughs> I'm finding confusion, uh, probably the word that fits the best, because, you know, in the vast majority, the vast scheme of things, the harms that I've done are not obvious. You know, I, I don't steal from people. I, yeah. know, I, don't, I don't kill anybody. So almost all of them come in a more subtle and maybe not even real sphere. So, you know, I, like you said, I don't have the power to break hearts. You know, a lot of it is emotional, possible trauma that I've caused. I don't know. Um, but how do you, you uh, like the one woman who talked about the fact that the person stopped being a friend with her, that was objective evidence. Yes. What other kinds of objective evidence can I use to see if I did harm? Because I can imagine all kinds of harms that I might have done. And I don't think they're real, like you said. Well, that's where a conversation with an experienced person comes in after you've prayed and um, you assess, attempting to try to get a sense of what the harm is or might be, then you have that conversation. And then you come, as I just had that discussion, to determine, is it substantive enough, potentially substantive enough, that it needs to be discussed with the person who I think I might have harmed, and the discussion would be asking the question of them, not telling them what you, not telling right. them even what you suspect. We'll be talking a little bit more about that when we talk about the ninth step in, a, in about, well, the, ne the next phase here. But, but it, it still gets- We'll ask them if it's worth their time. Mm -hmm. If it's worth it, that's an evaluation. Is this substantive enough that it's worth their time and energy to address the situation? Or is it just my scrupulosity, my perfectionism, whatever this uh, shame and guilt is in me? Is it just all about me? And that's what I'm trying to heal? Or is it really about them? And uh, they, there's some repair of damage that's necessary. And that's, a, that's not black and white. Right. And, and the person that even the wisdom person that I'm talking to yeah. is going to be relying on my perception. That's correct. And it, so it always comes back to my perception of harm. Absolutely. And, and substance, whether it's substantive enough. So how do you define that? What do well, you mean by it, that? You, you really don't define it like we were just talking about uh, earlier with Judy. Um, should she go back to the group of people and acknowledge that she slipped off the path or is it worthwhile to make it public, make it uh, visible? Maybe it's not worth their while. It was kind of like a throwaway situation and they really didn't register it. So it's, there's no, um, <laughs> the question is, and that's why you talk to somebody else is, is it substantive enough? And on the other hand, how free do you want to be? 
if it's like if it's still haunting you then there's some action that is necessary whether that's mm, and involves a dialogue with the person or involves a prayer practice on your own and conversation mm-hmm. perhaps with a sponsor or a therapist uh, that's a decision that you got to make mm-hmm. it, because it's about freedom. So I'm so thank you. You're having this conversation. Keep in mind in the term, what's the big picture here. Mm-hmm. The big picture is I want to be free and I want to make sure other people are free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've been having to, I mean, when I first went through this process, there were not very many that came up at all. And the ones that had come up, I'd, I'd kind of done it naturally to, you know, yeah. and yeah. so I'm going digging. And that's why I'm thinking, you know, am I fabricating things that they're not haunting me? You well, you're exploring. I wouldn't say fabricating. You're exploring. All right. I mean, that's what you're mm-hmm. doing. You're exploring. Yeah. I mean, because you're sincere and you're willing and you want to be clear and you, oh, excuse me, and you want to be painstaking, meaning paying yeah. attention to the detail. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. But just don't take any action until you've talked to somebody. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I don't have a sponsor right now. and yeah. that's... Well, um, but talk to somebody. Maybe, I mean, I'm sure you're connected to um, at least the one or two people in a program that mm-hmm. trust. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. Thank you, Herb. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for sharing. Um, Really, really good to be here. I, it's never a time that you do anything that it doesn't just blow up everything I thought I knew, oh, which is good. Yeah, I hear it, yeah. Um, and even just each time it helps me understand how come I wasn't setting free. I wasn't getting the happy, joyous, and free that this program yeah. offered. Yeah. The first step, the second step, you know, the, even the ninth. So I have a couple questions. And you said, I've been told that when to do so would injure them or others, when to do so would injure them or others, and I'm being one of the others. So I have a question. Well, no, you're not one of the others. Yeah, I'm saying that's what I was told. So I'm coming to you because I need, I know you have the answer. (laughs) Oh, I see, I see. Go ahead. Yes, 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 yes. So, So the question is, I was told if, now, this is a personal mind, younger, in a relationship, um, kind of stepped outside the relationship. I was told, you know, to tell that. Well, there's no, or, was there more? Because I want to address that. It's such an important part. I actually made uh, a, a, a little bookmarker in the big book to talk about it because it's a really huge issue. Was there more that you had comment on that? No, you can go ahead because that would be, yeah. Yeah, on page 80 in the big book, at the very bottom, he talks about domestic troubles. It's a euphemism for infidelity. (laughs) All right. And on page 81, he goes into some information about that, setting it up for three recommendations. If they don't know, should we tell them? My interpretation of the answer in the big book is no. If they don't know, you would be harming them by telling them. If they know in a general way, what do you do? The big book says we make amends in a general way. I'm paraphrasing. 
My wife knew of my infidelity. She had no specifics. I admitted my infidelity without getting any specifics. This was the counsel of the step guide I had who had had a similar background and experience. She reacted like the big book said. She was pissed and she wanted to know specifics, frequency, and et cetera, who, what, when, and where. The big book suggests we don't, we don't give them any specifics. And I used the big book and my step guide as the people who recommended that I give no specifics. She remained pissed. But I finished the amends process. We'll talk about that in the ninth step. And that healed just to the rest of the story so that <clears throat> we were 52 years married, the last 32 very, very successfully uh, before she died four years ago. So that's the balance of the story. We'll get into the details perhaps uh, at the, in the next section. But the third, so the first is if they don't know, don't tell them. If they do know in a general way, admit in a general way, but avoid any specifics. The third is if they know a lot of detail, he said, it may be that you have a discussion about the details, but it might be that you kind of agree to not address it and move forward. Now, easy for him to say that as a man in, uh, you know, writing the big book in 1939, <clears throat> It, but you may need to talk to a therapist and or an attorney about that uh, in terms of coming to the right answer. Um, but he says, we, what we need to do is avoid creating a problem for them with having the detail where they can't ever, once you see it, you can never unsee it. And then he makes the recommendation that I followed. The big book made it and he had followed it and then he shared his experience with me to follow. And that is to ask her to pray with you for healing. And I asked her and she said she would and we did. And it took several months of daily prayer before we began to actually feel the healing and begin the communication. And I asked her, you've heard me probably say this, so when will you trust me again? And she said, Herb, trust is never given, it's earned. And I said, well, how do you earn it? She said, with consistent behavior. Mm -hmm. And it was five years later without any more conversation. We, we did the, the daily prayer for about three years. And it was five years later that she just turned to me one day spontaneously said, I trust you now. Wow. So it's a process. So the, the reason I get that kind of detail is to realize that it takes action on our part, but healing is available in prayer and action, but over a long period of time. Does that answer your question? It answered it perfectly. So the other yeah. is that third party. Yes. I myself, I don't get a pass. But it's the third party. <laughs> that I, I'm going to use that. I haven't used that phrase. I do not get a pass. Yeah. That is right. Okay. Yeah, that just, boom, you cracked that one wide open. Right, right, right. Other person you don't harm. I don't get a pass. Yes. Well, and the example is an attorney had a partner and he was working the steps and this attorney uh, 
And this, his partner had agreed to cheat on their taxes so that they didn't pay state tax on something in their profession. And uh, he went to his partner and said, I got I to gotta fess up. I got to clean it up. Um, is it okay if I do that? And his partner said, hell no, that involves me. No, you, you don't have. He had to wait five or 10 years. Finally, that partner at that point was a ex-partner said, oh, you remember that thing five or 10 years ago? And go take, go take care of it. Mm -hmm. So he waited. He couldn't involve the other person who might be implicated until the other person gave him permission to do that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm happy to continue to talk about step eight or questions or comments or experiences with it. I'd like to move on to step nine specifically and talk specifically about step nine. And, and we've had lots of dialogue about step nine because it always slips into the practical application of eight and nine when we're sharing our experience, made direct amends. Well, what does that mean? Well, normally it means face-to-face. -face. It could mean, my interpretation, a phone call. It's referred to in the big book. It could be a letter. It's referred to in the big book, uh, email in our time <clears throat> um, to make contact. And so that's where sponsored direction comes in, experienced people. Not everybody as a sponsor has experience with the ninth step. And not every person who has experience with the ninth step has experience with each of the areas of your experience itself. So when this man <clears throat> heard my eighth step in a particular area, he said, I have no experience with that. You need to talk to a woman in the program, ask her if she were the woman that you are suggesting you harmed 25 or 30 years ago, would, would she as a woman want that even brought up, let alone addressed? And if so, if she would, how would she want it addressed and handled? And I did that. I talked to a woman with experience in the program that I trusted. And she gave me very specific directions, which I followed. And the outcome was very healing to that person. And quite frankly, to me, we were both released. So the point there is that we get direction from experienced people. There were a couple instances, in my case, working with my step guide, as well as me working with others, helping them go through their ninth step, where a dress rehearsal is actually part of the eight-step preparation. So if it's a mother or a father or a partner or an ex-partner or a brother or sister or a daughter or son, a, a child or sibling, it is such an important relationship, at least if it is to that person, that it's important, especially uh, as they're just beginning the journey, that they uh, have a uh, literally a, a trial run so that they get to 
speak the words, they get to feel the feelings, they get to express their actions so that they get a, a chance to experience it, to practice it, and therefore smooth it out in terms of the words and the actions when they're actually doing it. So as a sponsor, or certainly as a sponsee, be very open to playing the different roles. I've played the role of a wife. I've played the role of a sister. I've played the role of a son or a father uh, in terms of receiving the amen from my sponsee so that they get a chance to. Sometimes it takes a couple minutes. Sometimes it takes longer than that, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes for them to sort of start and then restart and then to restart to kind of like get the awkwardness over with because it's it's a it's a potentially difficult process but a very sacred process one of the things about the eight step is that it it creates a road map so that it's an accountability partner the the cards or the list itself In the big book, Bill tells us the reason that we do this on page 77. Why are we doing this? It's not about us. It's not about our freedom. It's not about our release. It's not about our addiction. He says, of course, at the moment, page 77, we are trying to put our lives in order. But this is not an end in itself. It's not about us. The turning that's committed to in step three the turning is away from ourselves, a turning from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. Steps four through nine is the process of turning. Our real purpose, page 77, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. Service to God, steps 11 and 12, and the people about us, step 10. In fact, the book suggests in this area, we've entered the world of the spirit. After step nine, it says, we've entered the world of the spirit. We commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. I'm quoting now. In the transition from step nine, instructions in the book, to steps 10, 11, and 12, he calls it our way of living, our way of life. We commence this way of life as we begin making amends. So the moment they have completed their eight steps satisfactorily to themselves and to me, my, the work, people I work with, and they understand the process of the ninth step, and they're ready to begin making it, I give them instructions on 10 and then 11 and then 12, so that they begin to practice 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis, so that they begin to improve their conscious contact with power, because step nine requires a lot of power. And step 10, 11, and 12 ensures the incremental improvement in that relationship with power. Now we've talked about except when to do so would injure them or others. I don't think that needs any more conversation. <clears throat> but here's the process that I summarize, it's not in the big book in this precise mechanical fashion, but this is after I have an understanding of the book and, uh, and years of going through the steps four different times over a 20-year period with four different people and the experience of what's worked and what's not. As a summary, 
when I sit in front of them or when I write a letter, I describe the harm. Why am I there? Because I have harmed you. This is the specific harm. And I conclude by saying, is there anything else that I've done that I'm not aware of or didn't talk about? I'm unaware of it or I didn't talk about it. And then I go quiet. 30 seconds is a long silence. I'm not there to make them uncomfortable, but I am there for them to catch their breath and perhaps talk about something that I hadn't mentioned because I either didn't know it or that for whatever reason, I didn't mention it. Then I suggest the amends that I've been thinking about. Notice I don't tell them what I'm going to do. I suggest it. Is this appropriate? I borrowed $5,000. I didn't pay it back. I'm going to pay back the $5,000. Well, they might suggest if there's any, uh, when I asked the question, is there anything else? And they said, well, yeah, it was 20 years ago. I want compounded interest. Very legitimate request. You can hear a much deeper, broader unpacking of the amends process with specific examples from my own experience um, in the uh, YouTube uh, workshop on, uh, that's recorded um, uh, with uh, a very detailed description of lots of my actual amends processes. I don't want to get into those today because I'd like to talk to I would like you to talk about your questions and or comments and or experiences with making amends, both where they were successful by your standards or where you made a mistake and they, they, weren't, uh, they didn't work as well as you wanted them to. But this is the dance. It's a four-part dance. First, I tell them my perception. And many of us have said, well, my perception may be off base. That's correct. But all I can do is what I know without reading minds. Ask them, is there anything else or did I get that correctly? But allow them the dignity of a pause so that they can put together their thoughts and perhaps express themselves at that time. Suggest the amends, but get their buy-in on it. Is that $25 a week or $25 a month? Is that satisfactory? The book says we work out the best deal that we can, best arrangement that we can. And then eventually ask, is there anything else I can do? Uh, Chuck C. in his book, New Pair of Glasses, has a great phrase, to balance the scale. He's looking at Lady Justice. What can I do to balance the scale? And then I listen again, that 30 seconds of silence that's just very uncomfortable so that they can again catch their breath and bring to my attention something that they might have on their mind or uh, you might say and you're welcome to call me within the next week of anything that might come up we hear in the meetings a lot about living amends i'm very skeptical 
about living amends, the way they're phrased or in the context in a meeting. Normally what I'm hearing is that they're dodging making direct or indirect amends, that they're going to the easier, softer way. Oh, I'll just live better. Oh, I'll just pray for their healing. Oh, I'll let bygones be bygones. No, you're being immature, irresponsible, and ignorant. Living amends I do believe in, living differently, thinking creatively. How can I create an environment that attempts to balance the scale at my home where my wife feels safe? Well, she likes the clean kitchen when we get up in the morning. Sometimes I'm not home. At night, I was out at meetings regularly. We had agreed on the schedule. It wasn't that I was unilaterally doing any of that. But when I got home, perhaps the kitchen was untidy. She had some physical challenges and she would go to bed. So I would without telling her or in fact, making comment about it the next morning, I would clean up the kitchen. That went unnoticed for five years. But eventually she just looked at me one day and says, oh, by the way, thanks for cleaning up the kitchen. I mean, she wasn't one that was going to, you know, like give me a pat on the back on a daily basis, but she did eventually recognize it like she did finally in acknowledge that she trusted me. So living amends is living change, but it's not a substitute for actual addressing the issues where it's appropriate in good judgment and common sense is what the big book and the 12 and 12 talk about. All right. Are there any uh, specific ways that I can, or we can have a discussion about amends that you've either made and you have questions about, or you just want to express them as successful amends and, and so that we have an example that everybody can learn from or that you have questions about or that you're preparing or that you think you have uh, something to do and you're not quite sure either whether you should do it or how you should do it. I'd be happy to attempt to, or, or as I indicated crosstalk here, other people may have experience that they can contribute to this. I thought I heard you say direct amends, yep. indirect amends, yep. and living amends. I miss the indirect amends. Can you clarify that? Sure, absolutely. In fact, it's one of the things that helped me finish my amends um, was an indirect amend. So there were people that I couldn't find back in the day. Okay. There was no internet. And there were people that I shouldn't find. Yeah, okay. I, I could I could find them, but it would be inappropriate for me to open up that wound 15 years later, 25 years later, 40 years later. It would be totally inappropriate. So either uh, I, sh I can't find them or I shouldn't find them. Uh, then I made an indirect amend. Um, it could be dead people, indirect amend. Uh, as you know, I went to the cemetery to actually address uh, uh, the amends I needed to make to my father. And you could consider that indirect, but it's pretty direct when I'm going to a cemetery, he was dead. 
uh, but I invited his spirit to be present. So that was a pretty direct thing, but depending on your perspective on that. The point is, though, that an indirect amend would be where I decided to pray for those people that I couldn't find or shouldn't find. I prayed, as I mentioned earlier, uh, one day or three days or three weeks or three months, whatever it was. I don't think any of them was beyond three months um, on a daily basis. And then when I completed my commitment, which I had reviewed with my sponsor, that's the important part. Don't make any unilateral decisions on what completion looks like. Talk about it to somebody that's objective. And then once we've agreed on what the time frame is, then I have a roadmap to finish until I know when I'm finished with it. So that's a very important question. Thank you. Anything else? Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, yeah, so I think that concept or that principle can can sort of the living amends it it feels like it has some of those same attributes maybe well it, it does except living amends has the connotation that it never ends mm. right which is true you live change that never ends but it's not a substitute for direct or indirect amends specifically bring that to a closure I finished, I finished making amends to everybody on the list. That's really good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the specificity and, and, and helping us have some real clarity around that. Thanks. I wanted to um, share uh, an amend and ask a question as well. Um, I remember needing to make amends to my father. Yeah. But I was so angry, I had to wait and practice the forgiveness process for him before I could go make my amends. Because I'm like, I'm not making amends to him. He hurt me. He did this. He did that. Right. Um, and I couldn't get past it. Right. And so I couldn't make the amends until I forgave him for his act. Interesting. Yeah. And then I was able to, you know, say that I was sorry for what I did. But what I see is missing. Is yes, I mean, he accepted, of course, you know, I was 24 when I got sober. So, you know, I was a hellion all the way through. So any sobriety, they were just willing to forgive because just, I'm glad you're just not that person that you were. Right. But I could see the importance when it says the forgiveness is not just for me. It's freeing the other person too. Yeah. But he didn't get free because I didn't get to ask him but how did my behavior affect you? Mm. You know, he was so willing to forgive. And it was the same with my mother. And later on, when she would get upset, she would throw things back in my face that I did as a kid. Right. And I can see it was because she didn't get to get free of. She, in turn, when I made amends for her, she made her indirect amends because she was an alcoholic as well. Uh, um, and she was able to say, well, I, you know, I forgive you. I did things and, you know, I need your forgiveness too. But it was very vague in general, but I appreciated that. <laughs> and then yeah, later little's on, better than nothing, right? That's it. And I, and it, it touched my heart at the same time. Now I could see while later on, she didn't really get free of some of the things that I did when she got upset. If I asked her or said, mom, you know, that hurts when you do that. Well, what about when you were, I had to take him up like, and I was able to laugh. Right. But my question is, Herb, when I came back to take care of her, 
it's like I was re-traumatized again. I was living in the middle until everything was gone. Like I was angry all over again. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was the stuff under the surface. For sure. Yeah. And tra trauma, trauma is really at the cellular level. And um, yes, we can deal with what we are aware of. And over time, we'll become aware of more as we thaw out and become more aware. And then we think we're all done. And then something goes deeper because we're, it's like that dimmer switch. There's more light and, and you plug into something more that's still at the cellular level. So yeah. And you just, we can only deal with what we can deal with and we deal with it in prayer conversation with somebody who knows what they're doing and action. Makes sense. That's the 10 step, isn't it? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. My last question, as I'm thinking about it, um, how do you make amends to someone who has been cremated? Sure. Yeah, my father. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, this man said, uh, your father's uh, cremated. He was distributed in the ocean, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no place where he is. Go to a cemetery as a symbol of where he is and sit there at a gravesite, anybody's gravesite, and pray for his spirit to be present. Yeah. Don't miss that experience. If you have amends to make to dead people, yeah, yeah. he was there. I heard his voice. When I said, what else is there that I can do to make amends? The voice was so clear. Take care of your mother. Yeah. Herb, when you said that I got killed, because I, my mother and father, because my father was in the military, yeah, buried on top of each other. Oh, wow. And when I went to see my, when I went to visit them for the first time after they had passed, literally, my brother was there. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a spiritual experience that right. I, it's almost like you could see the grass parting because I went back to my car yeah. to get the chair. When I came back, it looked like someone had been sitting there yeah. or was sitting there. Yeah. This gave me chills. And when you said go to the grave of someone, yeah, that's where I'll go back to. It's a very powerful ritual for me. Uh, in fact, I had an additional experience that I'll share because you're sharing something that like, no, no, that can't happen. But it did. Yeah. When I just shared it can't happen. You can't hear voices. Herb, you're no, it happened and it was real. Yes. And I followed through and it was it was authentic. I, I was um, in New Mexico on a retreat and I sat on one of those plateaus way up in the mountains <clears throat> and preparing my eight-step cards and I knew when I got back to Los Angeles that I would make those amends and I had three that I needed to make to dead people. I'm coming down from the mountaintop and I'm walking along a, a trail and I see a glint of something in the 20 yards off of the trail in the middle of the desert in New Mexico. And I thought, I was curious. So I went over there. And although I had made a commitment to go to Los Angeles to go to a three graves and make those three amends to dead people, when I went off the trail 20 yards, there are three graves. Oh, yes. I mean, in the middle of the desert. And I was able to make my amends right there. I mean... This sounds like woo-woo stuff, but it's real. Real. 
when we are willing and we take the effort and we're willing to take the action, who knows how it's all going to open up and manifest. One last question about the eighth step on putting someone on your men's. I've shared the situation with my son and my grandbaby, but he actually told her mother, I'm not sure what he told her, but she's, she was angry and stopped talking too. Does she go on my men's list? I mean, I, I really don't feel like I did anything, but I'm asking you. No, if you, didn't, if you didn't, didn't do any harm, then you don't owe any amend. If you want a relationship, then you may want to talk to her. Okay. Do you want to? So that's a rhetorical question. So ask yourself, do I want a relationship? See, this amends process and the forgiveness process is not about making friends. This is not about reconstructing a relationship. It may be you make amends to your father. Let's assume your father was alive. And, and you don't want any relationship with him because he's not trustworthy. And there's a lot of trauma and you just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. You make the amends, but you're really clear that we're we're both moving on and out. Her thing was she just she got her information from my son, which was distorted. So I got I felt like I'm asking, what do I clear that up? Well, I mean, her and I had a relationship. Oh, a relationship. You could ask her if it's if it's important enough to you. You think it's important enough to her to have a conversation, then yes. But if it's not that important to her, you don't need to open it up. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, no, that 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 door's been closed and it doesn't need to be opened unless at some point you feel like it needs to be opened. But that's in prayer and in conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you. Know, you. Yeah, as I say, there's no formula, there's no black and white, there's no rules here. This is not a science, this is an art form. This is spirituality, this is not science. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, thanks so much, Herbert. Thanks. And the real key question here, I keep going, uh, is will it, will it be helpful, will it bring healing to them? Not to you. Will it be helpful, will it be healing to them? There's ways for you to be helpful to yourself and to be healing to yourself that doesn't necessarily involve them. Yeah, I feel it would be more healing for her because at this point it really doesn't matter to me, but I think it would be healing to her. And, and it, 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 with that thought, it might be that you ask her, is that something that you'd like to discuss? Uh, so not, not just unilaterally making up, this will be good for you, so sit down and listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah good point that's a good way to do it yeah. when in doubt ask questions yes. sincerely and mm -hmm. allow time don't it's not about the right answers or an immediate answer allow time yeah okay thanks so much Herb, for all you do my question you kind of covered is that a lot of people have passed away. Yep. Uh, and, you know, parents, my husband, other relationships. <clears throat> so I was going to ask about what to do. Um, and you had said about going to a cemetery. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that was at least the recommendation because the cemetery represents, that's a wonderful, powerful symbol of the dead. 
And so that's why I believe it was recommended and I recommend it. Okay, okay. Even And, and also because their cemeteries are not here, but to go to a cemetery and... Well, that was, I'm glad you were very specific because some people want to go to the actual grave. Let's say they're buried in Des Moines, Iowa. They make a schedule, they fly, they go, they clean up the gravesite and all. It's not my experience, but I hear other people's experience, <clears throat> which is quite legitimate, excuse me. It's quite legitimate, but you figure out, I mean, what makes common sense? Is it, is it, necessary for your time and expense to go someplace because of the substance of the forgiveness process that you want to participate in. Again, that's where you talk to somebody who can help you be objective and not come from guilt or shame. You know, I also like what you said, because I've heard, well, it's if you just do a living amends and you live differently, it'll be the amends. But that, I, that in is my so not correct. That is not correct at all. Right. What? Say that again. I said that's not correct at all. There's nothing correct about that. But go ahead. About you know just living differently. That no. would be immense to them. And I, from what from what I've heard today, I definitely agree. It's not enough. That's to not really enough. Clear it away. That's right. Yeah. And so that. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that there's a specific um, action that I need to take or somebody needs to take, you know, to put, put myself, um, you know, right on target with that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, that is the best that I've heard about doing this. So. Wonderful. Good. Thank you. All right, thanks. Once, once again, these are my, my understanding, my translation, my experience, in some cases, my opinion. So talk to other yeah. people, though. You know, yes. I'm just another person Perfect. on the bus. <laughs> Hi, Herb. I have three questions for you. Good. One concerns protégés again. So um, I witnessed, it was not my protege, it was somebody else's protege, but I witnessed a situation where um, protege goes to sponsor, sponsor, you know, walks through the ninth step uh, with her, makes certain recommendations, then protege goes out, makes the amends in a total different way that have absolutely nothing to do with the harm that was done, just to make herself feel better. How do you approach that? Well, I, why are you approaching it? None of your just business. curious. Why is no, it it's not in my business. You're right. I'm just curious, right? None um, of the business. Okay. All right. You're yeah. right. The next question is amends about infidelity. Okay. Yes. I've I've um, been there myself. Okay. I was the I was the perpetrator, not the recipient of it. Um, it's many years ago. Yeah. Uh, my husband knew about it. He found out about it yeah. and uh, we were split up for a while, then got back together. So yeah. to me, this has been, I just, uh, there's been a lot of questions about it for me personally. What I did is I looked at the sane and sound ideal that the big book talks about. And I made myself a list of behaviors that are acceptable and behaviors that are unacceptable. Yeah. You know, that to me was part of my amends. And I have 100%. stuck to that. Yeah. Like I, for instance, I did not flirt. 
okay, I flirt with my husband. I don't flirt with somebody else. That's right. Again, to me, that's also a thing about, you know, looking for somebody that can do for me what I can't do for myself. Because again, that's, you know, the other depths of, you know, the other, the other depths of, I suddenly realized that God is doing for me what I can't do for myself, right? So when it comes to, when it comes to infidelity that is not known, which have not been in that situation, Big Book basically asks, well, shall we do it? Shall we not? Shall we make amends? Shall we not make amends? And this my my question to you about living amends. Would that not be that appropriate spot for making a living amend by really yeah. making that list for myself to say, okay, these are these are behaviors. And I did that list with my sponsor at the time. These behaviors are not acceptable to me. I'm not going to repeat them again. Yeah. But then also look at, you know, the promise in step nine where it says, I do not regret the past, no wish to shut the door on it, meaning letting go of the guilt, shame, and remorse but going forward about using that past as an experience I choose not to repeat. Do you see that differently or? No, no, I, you, I wouldn't change a word that you said. Okay. Yeah. And the next question I have about is about financial amends. Okay. So many years ago, I defrauded on my husband's expense account. Okay. And at the time, I was fully willing to make the amend to step forward. He said no, because it would have, you know, it would have caused him harm. I've made the financial amends in any in in other ways and going forward, of course, not repeated that. I found it very powerful that it was, I don't know if it was you or somebody else who shared that basically once that person has passed away and they could not um they could they could not harm that individual anymore by making the amends. Does that still make is that still a possibility? I hear what you're saying. You've got a great understanding of the process, by the way, and you're getting some really good advice from whoever you've been getting advice from. It really sounds very experiential and very wise. Um, in that case, um, it sounds like you made the amends indirectly without involving your husband or the people that you cheated. Um, and that's would have been my recommendation. Um, and so from my standpoint, you're done. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're done because you've made the amends. Now, if circumstances change, um, it doesn't uh, take away anything from the amends that you made. If there's something else that you need to do, that's, that's your business, but it, it wouldn't be my recommendation. I just, you're done. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Those were my questions. Yeah, no, wonderful. Uh, very practical questions. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Herb. I really appreciated this workshop so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's serving the purpose that I had in mind. And that was uh, a, a little bit of teaching for experience purposes to prime the pump, but a lot of sharing from people's questions and own experiences. That's really what I wanted to uh, have us uh, engage in thinking about the word motives and and um is that useful to use in in when we're looking at making amends um what is my motive here okay yeah um mm -hmm. so my 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 uh step guide never told me what to do but always asked me questions about my motives well why do you yeah. want to revisit that with her <laughs> yeah yeah. Why don't you want to revisit that with her? He never told me what to do, but I got underneath it. My motives were very 
uh, scurrilous. I, they, they were they were very uh, inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, like I've got a situation. It's actually uh, my younger brother, and I haven't really had anything to do with him since my mom passed away. So that would be six and fifteen anyway. What so seven years? Seven years ago. So, and just. We don't get together anymore. It seems she was the glue. Do you know what I mean? Sure. That's that was the reason, the terror, whatever. And um, uh, you, yeah. here's, a, here's a question: Do yeah. you want a relationship with him? Well, not really. All right. <laughs> here's, here's another question: yeah. Does he want a relationship with you? I don't think so. Well, there you go. So, yeah. have you created any harm that you haven't addressed with him? No, I don't think so. Um, it's a it's a long it's a bit of a story as well. But anyway, I don't want to go there. But he, um, in settling the will, he kept more, and that was the resentment he had towards the rest of the family. And so he has, I think, um, uh, settled the harms that he thought happened in the lifetime. You know, kind of thing. Well, and, you're um, talking mm -hmm. about his his inventory and harm. Right. Yeah. No, that's yeah. none of your business. No, but you you said is is um have I created any harm to him? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I he had a perceived harm, so I guess it was it was a harm. I didn't agree with it, but that's well, wait, wait, that was his actions. Wait, wait. I don't know. If you mm -hmm. do a harm, it doesn't matter what he thinks. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But you do raise a question. Because a lot of people think because I have a resentment, I've created a harm. The people in my resentment list belong on my eight-step list. And that's not true at all. Yeah. Because I, was, because I have a resentment doesn't mean I harmed anybody. And because I don't have a resentment, it doesn't mean that I didn't harm anybody. I might have harmed somebody that I have no resentment to. Like, like being a, mm -hmm. being a thief, like stealing, like, um, yeah. like somebody mentioned cheating on an expense account. I, mm -hmm. I didn't have any uh, uh, resentment toward anybody. Um, I just took what I didn't belong to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I had a lot of that was cleared up a few, a couple of seasons ago here. I, I did think that if I have a resentment, then I must have caused harm. And that's very clear. It's not necessarily sometimes, true at all. Sometimes yeah. you do in resentment create mm -hmm. harm, but not all the time. That's correct. No, yeah. no, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that about the motives because uh, for me to, like, for instance, with him, exactly, for reaching out, and I don't feel that he really wants in a relationship, and I don't think there's really any reasons to, to try to say, by the way, did I create any harms? Is that why we're not... <laughs> talking or whatever i'm i'm just not sure that's it and it's only my own insecurities and my should be's this go. is how should be this is how we should have a relation you know and right. i'm thinking now this is getting and i don't have the energy right now to do that anymore. i hope everybody's really hearing that you know? once you hear it clearly it's not subtle but mm -hmm. before you hear it clearly, it might appear kind of silly or subtle it's not this is critical information about your your motive for and what mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this yeah. forgiveness is not about reconciliation no no yeah if you don't want a relationship with a spouse or an ex-spouse or a brother or a sister or a father or a mother or a child 
don't have it. Exactly. Otherwise, it's really false and it's crazy making. It it's, really starts to get messy then. All the whoa, yeah. what are you trying to do here? I could be exactly. trying to impact, even prove to him that he did something wrong. You know what I mean? I could go yeah, there. Could, that could be what, some of my stuff. And I'm thinking, oh my God. There you go. there you yeah, go. thanks. Thanks for this. Thanks for it's really helpful to talk about it. Yeah. About motivation. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. In previous discussions on this topic i've you know i've heard comments and observations about how important that acknowledgement peace is to healing sometimes right. and i guess what i'm dealing with here is the reality that sometimes we don't get to have that peace so we have to embrace the other avenues for healing which i guess is just the release of that expectation i what would be the alternative continue to suffer i suppose <laughs> I'm not sure what other alternative there is. <laughs> That's right. No, no, that would be the alternative. If I don't release it, I will continue to suffer from this fantasy, this unrealistic appraisal of how life works. Yeah. As uh, the guy who wrote mm, The Road Less Traveled, the very first line, life is difficult. Yep. Might this also relate a little bit to the Al-Anon thing about that we can know that that we can know serenity regardless of what the alcoholics or the other people in our lives are doing or not doing. No. By detaching. Yeah. By detaching. detaching from circumstances or people. It's a formula that should become a mantra for us. Detach from circumstances and people in this sense that they do not determine how I think or feel or behave. Circumstances and people do not determine how I think and feel and behave. Only I do from deep inside me. Yeah. And that's where the detachment comes in. And that's where detachment comes in. That's where okay. prayer comes in. That's where talking to somebody comes in. That's where our own action of self-care and prayer for ourselves and the forgiveness process of releasing, releasing the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that's that's pivotal. Yeah. And, and, and to recognize that you're as powerless to actually let go as you are over any of your addiction. So you pray because you're powerless, but you're responsible to take the actions as if there is something that you can do about it. Hi, um, I have a question. I have a um... I was wondering about when you were talking about siblings not wanting to, um, you know, me and my sister, like, it's pretty clear that I don't really care about a relationship with her and she doesn't really care about a relationship with me. Huh. But, um, I often wonder, it brings tears to my eyes that, so when she, she's um, seven years older than I am. And when she passes, what is the proper thing to do? In terms of what? In, in terms of going to the funeral or, you know, showing up. Uh, it's like, I don't, I don't, 
I, I fear that more than I do anything. You know, it's like, it, it's okay with me that we don't have a relationship. But, you know, my I spoke to my son about it. And he was like, mom, the proper thing to do is to show up, you know? And, and I just think, I feel like a hypocrite. What do you want to do? I don't want to, I just... First of all, I don't even believe in funerals. And, you know, I just think that everybody should just do their own thing, you know, and, and deal with it, you know, on their own. But I mean, that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. But no, it's I, totally there. It's totally here and now. That's totally. You need to come to grips with what you want to do. Dr. Berger says, and he's the a clinical psychologist. He's my co-facilitator in emotional sobriety. And he says something very straightforward. Do only what you want to do. Yeah. That you really want to do it. Now, you could make a decision that you really don't want to go, but you're going to go because, and you fill in the blank, not because you should or that you feel guilty or shame or, or that you want to look good. Nope, none of those. But what is a funeral for? There's two, well, I don't, there's probably a lot of reasons for a, a funeral, but it primarily is, Number one, for people themselves to process the grief of the loss. The other is to go to support the people who are grieving the loss. So you you go or no go, but it's totally your decision. Don't do it because of your son. Don't do it because of your family. Don't do it because of your guilt or shame. Do it because, and you fill in the blank, whatever, it, or don't do it because fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't have a relationship with her daughter either. So I, like I said, I would just feel like a hypocrite, and I, and I really don't want to go. You know. Sounds like it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you can pray for guidance and talk to your sponsor about that periodically. But yeah, don't, don't compromise your integrity. But be, be very clear about what does your integrity mean and entail. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you. One of the um, items in the Way of Life document is a comparison that was done by a good friend of mine of the bedevilments and the promises. I'm not going to read it here. Because you have it, either it was sent to you by Rainey um, or as part of a handout for the time, or it's in the Way of Life document. If you've been in any of my workshops, you may have that or have access to it. Um, it it's just a wonderful comparison of the bedevilments on page 52 in step one, the behavioral evidence of unmanageability, unmanageability, page 52, those bedevilments. And then later on, on page 83 and 84, at the end of the ninth step, so step one through step nine, this is what, 30 pages, and, and we're, tr we're transformed, we're, we're taken across the chasm, it, it's turned inside out. Those promises line up very nicely with those bedevilments. And if you want to have an experience with it, sit quietly in a room, say the set-aside prayer or some other form of prayer to put you in the place and the mood, and then read across 
the bedevilment and the promise. Read it out loud. Please do that. Read the bedevilment and then read the promise out loud. And go through each one of them, reading the bedevilment and the promise. This is the turning. This is the turnaround. This is the transformation. This is the awakening that is promised. Very powerful. A friend of mine, uh, Dan Sherman, passed uh, probably seven years ago now. Um, he wrote his book on the guide to the big book. And in there, he had this comparison. I got his permission to use it um, in my workshop. So I think it's a very powerful demonstration of where we come from in unmanageability and where we're delivered to once we complete the ninth step. Also, I talked about the forgiveness process, a, a decision to release them. It's about forgiveness is about them. It's not about us. Although, actually, and paradoxically, it is about us because we experience being released. We make a decision and we take some action to release them. Steps four through nine are at least my experience of the process of forgiveness. If you want to see the scientific process, read Dr. Luskin's book, Forgive for Good, and you will see that there's a parallel in the dynamic of the process, not in the vocabulary. His is science, ours is spirituality. But the underneath the dynamic is exactly the same. And in the way of life document that I just referred to, it's a 68 page document that's on my website that I use to support my weekly workshop. Um, <clears throat> there's a three page meditation in there. I, I believe that Rainey also sent that to you um, on forgiveness both from the 12 step process as I experienced it, but I've incorporated in there the six stage process of Dr. Luskin, uh, trying to show the parallel between the spiritual process and the secular scientific process. As I see it, the circle and the triangle, of course, Bill gave us <clears throat> to illustrate the steps and the traditions and the concepts but I've adopted and adapted this for the forgiveness process. The forgiveness process is a process that's based on a decision. I have free will. Do I want to release this or not? Do I want to be released from this or not? A process, a decision. We change our attitude that I have agency. I have responsibility. I am not a victim. I have responsibility. I need to accept reality as it is, not as I want it, not as it, quote, should be, not as I feel it, not as I think it. We had many of those conversations today. Reality just is. I'm pausing. I want that to sink in. Reality just is. It's not right or wrong. It's not fair or unfair. There are no shoulds. They're not real. They're figments of our imagination. There's just healthy and unhealthy. There's practical, what works and what doesn't work. Accept reality as it is. 
and then take the action. Notice, action is all in caps, very intentional. You can make a decision but not take action. That's just a fantasy. A decision without action is fantasy. You can put that on your refrigerator. Forgiveness is a process. In my meditation about this, about oh, probably 10 years ago, I was thinking about forgiveness and it came to me. A forgiving person has no past. An unforgiving person has no future. That's powerful. Up till now, we're released from. But if we don't get released after now, we will continue to suffer. We had that conversation many times with the people. We commenced this way of living, a relationship with power. As we cleaned up the past, we keep the channel clear. We're the channel of light, of life, of grace, of God through inventory in step 10. We fill that channel through meditation step 11. We allow that channel to seep out from us, overflowing with life, with love, with God, with grace, with helpfulness. We clean the channel, we fill the channel, we empty the channel. That's our way of living, keeping a relationship with power. Please join me in the prayer of St. Francis that really captures that. Now I've taken his name off of it and I've changed some of the words. But it illustrates this turning from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. It illustrates the awakening that we've talked about, that conversion. I am responsible for my life. I am responsible for my action, 100%. It illustrates the awakening that is promised as step 12. Spirit of the universe, make me a channel of your peace. That where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Going from the darkness to the light, that's the turning. Please grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. To understand than to be understood. To love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven, that paradox. It is by dying that one awakens, another paradox. It is by dying to the self that one awakens to life. Amen.